you. And, you know, it helped that I was stoned. But to be perfectly honest, it helped, period, to have that love and compassion poured out on someone like that. Towards fascism, okay? If they they're not going to be able to succeed. Control and they let the militia loose. If they let the extreme right wackos loose. There's nothing to counteract them. There's nothing to give them fear. There's nothing to check that. Okay? A non-believer, Ali. We well, have I a mean, you know, yeah, I'm not saying that I agree or disagree with you, but think about prior to 9/11. I mean, who were the terrorists? Who were the people that blew up that building in Oklahoma City? I mean, who are the armed people who have been wreaking havoc? And I think you, right is so heavily armed. I, I think you have you have a point. Man. I mean, you have a legitimate point, is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. Is I mean, prior to 9/11, we were worried about right-wing terrorists in this country, and they were extremely violent. I don't want to be violent, but the love thing so far ain't working, and so I think we need an ace in the hole. Well, if you if. If you think the love thing ain't working, then how come these guys are going down? Because really, if you follow politics, they're digging their own graves. And if you yeah, look at the long-term the, the, the picture... The mistake, though, keeps repeating itself. You didn't learn from Reagan. You didn't learn from Bush 1. I mean, come on, people. Wake up. Well, I think that some uh, righteous indignation is appropriate. I think that we should be angry and we should be in the streets, but I also think that nonviolent protest is the way to go. All right, I got to go. My pasta's boiling over. All right, thanks, <laughs> thanks, for, for, calling. thanks for the call, and yeah, keep the go peace. Got to go. My pasta's boiling over. <laughs> I got my. Got to clean my guns over here. Thanks for the call. We do appreciate it. And I mean, that's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm hollering like this because even. As difficult as it is, mm-hmm. we've got to fight fire with water. We've got to, love wins in the end. Everything will yeah, be. Yeah, okay. I hope so. Everything will be okay in the end, Ali. Because if it isn't okay, it ain't the end yet. Wow, that was pretty philosophical. <laughs> but uh, obviously, yeah, it's food for thought. That last caller, and you know. I think he does make some valid points, and if you get to the point where you can't trust the elections, where you're not sure the votes are being counted, I mean, you know, you got to think about some things. Well, the problem is that they've not only got they've got a lot more weapons than we could ever come up with. I mean, oh. I don't even want to try. We're I gonna mean, we're gonna lose. We're gonna lose. We would have lost in the '60s. We're gonna <laughs> lose know. now. So I know you got to <laughs> so. outsmart them. It's like having a two-year-old in your house. You got to outsmart them. Okay, we'll keep right. working on it, because I don't think I'm smart enough. <laughs> Are you going to say goodbye? Yeah, say I just want to wish yeah, wish everybody, you know, the Happy best. Happy <laughs> uh, you know, Solstice, yeah, Yule, and just have a great, great time the next few weeks, and, you know, the sun will come back, and everything's going to be good. And really, just try to be really radically compassionate with yourself and other people yeah. as much as you can. It makes things better. You gotta love them all, like Balmer says. Where's my email this week, Balmer? He emails me every week and says you gotta love, you gotta pray for George Bush, you gotta pray for those guys. That's what our buddy with the guns should be doing. He should be praying over that pasta, praying for mm-hmm. these guys to see the light and use that energy in a positive way. Well, I know a couple hundred Lakota that could have used him on December 30th, about 115 years ago, at Wounded Knee. Over they could have used you, buddy. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, at least one guy would have been shooting back at the 7th right. Cavalry. Thanks for tuning in. Renegade Solutions is a White Buffalo Woman production and is engineered by Alex Belhaj. I'm Sharmi Golson for Ali Transboy Bratton. We want to thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week. We tackle yay Oyasin.
WCBN FM Ann Arbor, Michigan. Both Pandora's box was a box of chocolates. If I would I know to stay away. If Pandora's box was a bo- Oh my goodness, it's 6.30 almost, past 6.30. Good evening, this is Pandora's Lunchbox. This is the Pandora's Lunchbox Christmas show, welcome. I'm Mike, and that was me singing, unfortunately. This is the Pandora's Lunchbox Christmas show. Have you ever heard an echo in your head and you wondered if you kept saying the same thing over and over again? On today's program, we're going to explore the meaning of food in Christmas, Christmas in food, and Christmas cultural food traditions and other word combinations. But first of all, I'd like to... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm extremely rude not letting you come in the door here. Why don't you step on in? We've got some fine disco music uh, coming up in just a moment. Here we go. Yep, come on. Join the crowd. Here we go. Check out the disco music. You know? Yeah, this is some great disco music. We didn't get the rights to actually get a real disco record, so we had to get one of those uh, imaginary disco records from a 70s movie, but I hope you like it. Yeah, it's pretty festive. But here, take one of these. This is one for you. Jingle bell, jingle, sing tunelessly the, the favorite Christmas tunes. Yes, Pandora's Lunchbox is a show about food, which we do every Thursday at 6.30. And on today's program, it's Christmas. Shall we get out of the disco room here for just a second here? Just step out here for just a second and let me uh, play something really cool that I think you'll like. This is uh, a group called The Marquis. That's right, Santa Dunn got hip, that's the Marquise, and welcome to the Pandora's Lunchbox Christmas Party. If you're sitting there alone in your car, you're not really alone because you've got this. This is a show about food, and on today's program we're going to hear from various people and such about food, and you know, this may be one of the 20, 25 best Christmas parties you'll go to this year, let me tell you, because, you know, they've got the world-famous Rockettes, we've got the world-famous Backwards Chickens. 
That's okay, I don't understand either. Okay, the backwards chickens are going to be flying backwards around the room, so just, uh, if you see a chicken coming, realize that it's coming from its backside towards you. Just don't be alarmed. They're, they're quite, quite domesticated. But they might eat your food. And there is quite a lot of food here at the uh, party. Here, grab this again. Uh, we've got over there, you see the world's largest candy corn made of only the best sucrose uh, from Iowa. Speaking of Iowa, you know, a uh, friend of mine, Charity Nebby of Michigan Radio, was going to talk to me about traditions in her family growing up in Iowa on Christmas. And I thought this would be great because maybe they're the kind of traditions that you and I could relate to because, you know, maybe doesn't some, we all have some, not a lot of us have really fancy schmancy traditions. We just do what we do uh, for the holidays. And, and, and I figured it would be nice to have her here. But unfortunately, she had to head off to Iowa. I mean, fortunately, she got to see her family and all her dogs. But unfortunately, uh, Charity couldn't be here to talk to us about, wait a minute, what's this? Hold on. I'll be right back. Is this what I think it is? I think it is. Hold on. Whoa. If I'm not mistaken, this is... um. This is an R1-D0 here. Now, we, you're all familiar with R2-D2 from Star Wars fame and such. Well, this is R1-D0. This is an earlier model. Yeah, not nearly as high-tech. But uh, it's it's waddled into the studio here. Uh, probably was attracted by the sound of the backwards chickens, as many robots have been on this program. And I don't know why it's here, but wait a minute. There's a little shaft opening in the front of R1-D0 here, and... And it's there's some kind of uh, there's some kind of image appearing, and I don't know if I recognize it. Um, and then what's what's going on here? I don't. Okay, this is getting strange, folks. Wait a minute, what's going on? I come from uh, hey, family. It's, a, it's an image Everyone of Charity Nebby. And she's wearing an outfit much like Princess Leia. Wow, this is really strange, folks. This is really, wow, this is getting, this is not conclusive here. I don't know if I can get this image here. Hold on, hold on. Okay, this, okay, folks, I think we have Charity Nebby in hologram form trying to tell us about holiday traditions. Shall we take a moment and listen to what Charity has to say? Come on, little R2-D0. Sorry, R1-D0. Didn't mean to insult you. Have a seat, and we'll just uh, listen to uh, Charity tell us about uh, holiday traditions. Just like this. Actually, it's very funny that you ask me about food traditions, because I come from a family where everyone is a terrible cook. The only good cooks in my family have married into the family, and they've actually saved a lot of holidays because of that. But my mother is an atrocious cook. She's always been awful. She can't follow a recipe to save her life. She doesn't seem to care (laughs) very much about what tastes good together. When she makes something good, she can't remember how she made it. My dad doesn't even try to cook. He can make scrambled eggs and toast, and that's about the extent of it. And, you know, my brothers and I, growing up in that environment, haven't really become great cooks. I can make really good cookies, but other than that, I'm not that talented. (laughs) 
<laughs> but we do have some holiday food traditions, and they're all a bit odd because now everyone in my family is actually vegetarian. Uh, we have married into the family. We have one person who's not a vegetarian. So at family gatherings, there are six vegetarians and one non. So there's no meat involved in any holidays. So that kind of gets rid of the turkey or the Christmas ham, that kind of thing. So every Christmas, and this has been happening probably for the last 20 years, we have homemade pizza. The reason we have homemade pizza is because we can't buy pizza on Christmas. So we decided at one point that we'd make something that everybody likes. But for years, it was a disaster every year. There was one year where for some reason the pizza was so wet there was too much sauce and too much water in the dough, and we ended up actually eating it in bowls with spoons. But, you know, we've never actually gone hungry. Now the pizza has gotten to be pretty good because uh, my husband actually is an excellent baker and an excellent cook, and so he's in charge of the pizza every year. And the tradition is that everybody gets to choose what they want to have on their pizza. So the table gets covered with every kind of imaginable topping, and (laughs) it's pretty scary because my mom will pull stuff out of the cupboard that you know has been there at least a year. You know, I bought these artichoke hearts last January, but I'm sure they're still good. So there are some really iffy things that get out on the table. And my dad always plays it really straight. He always puts cheese and, you know, occasionally he'll put, I don't know, like fake pepperoni (laughs) or something like that. Some of the others of us will get a little bit adventurous. You know, I like black beans on my pizza. I like banana peppers. Pickles are actually pretty good. Tomatoes, sun-dried tomatoes, you know. You have a number of different options. My mother, she goes absolutely nuts, and she puts everything that she can possibly think of on the pizza. So she'll have sauerkraut and dill pickles and artichoke hearts and garbanzo beans and whatever else she's dreamed up. And her pizza is always completely inedible, so she ends up sharing pieces of everybody else's. But that works out pretty good. We do have, in my family, one genuine traditional food item that we make every holiday season, and this actually has been passed down for generations of Nebis. My great-grandmother made them, my grandmother made them, my mom learned to make them, even though she's only a Nebi by marriage, and uh, now I know how to make them, and we have them every year. And also the town that my family is from, there are all sorts of people of German descent that live in the town, which is Ogden, Iowa. It's a very small town, like 2,500 people. You actually were very close to it this summer, Mike, when you were traveling around Iowa. I don't think you actually made it to Ogden, but there's not that much to see (laughs) when you do go there. But anyway, it's, it's a German town in Iowa. And I don't know if it's still made there, but for many years, all of the women in town were sort of competitive with this recipe. And it's called Fudgens. 
And I have looked in many German cookbooks, and I've looked it up online, and there's a dispute in the family about how to spell it, but I have never found it anywhere. So I have no idea where this came from, but apparently it is a German tradition. And they're kind of like donuts. So it's a yeast-risen donut mixture and it takes all day to make because you have to let it rise two or three times and punch it down and let it rise again it has raisins in it the mixture and then when it's all ready it's deep fat fried so you put some on a spoon and you drop it in and they're kind of oddly shaped so they're like a little pillow of dough in the middle and then little tendrils sort of come out from the sides and you fry them until they're golden brown and you eat them immediately that's very important you take them out and put them well we put them on paper towels to sort of drain off some of the grease because there's plenty of grease and you have big bowls of granulated sugar and you roll them in sugar and you eat them and they are so good <laughs> and i can't I've been trying to think of how exactly I would describe their flavor. They're kind of like a funnel cake, except that you fry them darker than a funnel cake because that's very light batter, and they're not as sweet as a funnel cake. The funnel cake batter is, um, and they're they're because they're a bigger pillow. You know, they're very spongy in the middle, and they're absolutely delicious. They taste a little bit like. I don't know if you've ever had a Krispy Kreme when it's warm. They taste a little bit like that, only much better. And they're absolutely delicious. <laughs> we used to. I remember when we were kids and we'd have fujins. You know, my brothers and my dad would like have this eating competition, and they would eat and eat and eat these things. My dad could put away like 30 fujins at a sitting, and we'd, you know, we'd just make one batch, and it would be completely gone. And now nobody can do that. I mean, I can have three or four of them at a time. My dad, my dad can can basically do five or six, and then gets horrible heartburn. So we have to all take it a little bit easier than we used to, and we always have a whole bunch of leftovers, which is very disappointing because they taste terrible leftover. You can't reheat them in the microwave; they just get really greaselogged, which gives you an idea of how good they are for you in the first place. But goats really like them. The next day, and pigs really like them. The next day, which works out very well because my parents have a pig, and they had two goats, but unfortunately we lost a goat this year, so there will only be one goat having fujins. And this was a tradition that we usually made fujins on New Year's Eve, but now because my family is very rarely together on New Year's Eve, we just do it some evening during the holidays. Sometimes Christmas Day in the afternoon, we'll start the fujins and we'll make them like Christmas night. Usually not Christmas Eve because, of course, that's when we have to have the pizza. So, <laughs> so we really can't have both. But it's it's a tremendous. It I really like it, and probably you know my husband's family. Everybody has been a fantastic cook forever, going back ages in his family. So. You know, he has all of these family traditions. His grandmother made this remarkable almond coffee cake that is just to die for. You know, and she had her coleslaw recipe that everybody uses in the family, and she made Swiss steak that she taught every child that has been raised in the family to make, and all this stuff. And 
His grandfather on the other side always made challah bread that braided in four different braids and all this stuff. So they have all of these family traditions. But I know that most families probably have, you know, dozens of family food traditions. But I kind of like the fact that we have this one. And it does make you feel connected to all the generations that have come before. And as far as I know, still no man <laughs> has actually made pudgeons. I'm sure there have been a few, and probably one of my cousins has given it a try. But it does make me feel connected to the generations of women that came before. And there you have it. Well, that was pretty cool. Did you see that? The uh, R1D0, which is the early model version of the R2D2, showed us that hologram. I hope you enjoyed watching that. That was Charity Nebby of Michigan Radio, who is now in Iowa, but sending me a message in a way that makes me feel that the Force is with all of us. Yeah, it's Pandora's Lunchbox. It's ten minutes before seven o'clock. It's the Pandora's Lunchbox Christmas party. Coming up at seven o'clock, it's Harwolf and Face the Music, but... By the way, we've been listening to a little bit of Duke Ellington's Three Sweets, his version of the Nutcracker Suite in the background. Um, by the way, we just uh, Charity was just talking about growing up in Ogden, Iowa, and so I figured it would be more than appropriate to uh, bring our next guest out here. Uh, Ogden Nash, uh, would you like to have something to say here? Oh, it looks like the chickens are getting very excited. The backwards chickens are getting all excited again. Yes, we have the world-famous backwards chickens here. They have thrown themselves madly at the world's largest candy corn, and uh, their beaks are covered in that orangey stuff there. It's really strange, really kind of surreal. <laughs> Nonetheless, if you can just settle down, fellas, uh, we're going to listen to Ogden Nash. Ogden, would you like to step up and address the crowd, please? I'm a pleasure to shop for. Mine is a dauntless spirit, meaning a spirit that is hard to daunt. Therefore... Since nobody gives me Christmas presents anymore, I shall console myself by compiling a list of Christmas presents that I do not want. I do not want a lamp made out of an umbrella stand, or a coffee table made out of an old wagon wheel, or a fire screen made out of a leftover piece of trellis, or indeed anything made out of or made to look like anything else. I do not want a novel written by a young genius in the earnest belief that nothing awful has ever happened before to anyone but him, certainly not to us dowdy duffers and stodgy codgers, nor tickets to the new musical by the smart boys who think they have discovered the secret of Hammerstein and Rogers. Since I am crazy about harshness and unpleasant aftertaste, I do not want a milder, less irritating cigarette, no matter how scientific the tests nor an evening with friends watching the TV personality girls, whom I can only think of irreverently as community chests. I do not want a squirrel tail or a Confederate flag to dangle from the aerial of my car, or a picture window through which better to view my neighbor's picture window or the adjacent abattoir. For me, please, no bottled martinis, no sweetbreads, no cottage cheese with or without chives, no blinis in sour cream, indeed, neither sour cream nor blinis. If you will just not come across with any one of the above and make it snappy, you will also make one dear old gentleman's Christmas very, very happy.
Oh, we've got the chickens very excited here. That was Ogden Nash talking about what he does not want for Christmas. And there are many of us who also know what we do not want for Christmas. But what looks like what's happening here is that the backwards chickens have started to construct their own chicken crash. That's just so cute. It's their own backwards chicken crash. This is really cute, folks. You know, by the way, that reminds me, I went to Frankenmuth with my friend Ray last weekend, and we sat in the Bavarian Inn, and they were serving, you know, more food than you could ever eat all your entire life. And uh, hold on, backwards chickens are getting all excited about this now. I had a turkey schnitzel. I had turkey schnitzel, which was a combination I had not imagined before, and yet I did have turkey schnitzel. Um... The guy with the lederhosen was walking around uh, playing the accordion, and Ray realized at one point that, in fact, he was playing Feliz Navidad on the accordion, wearing lederhosen. Look at the happy backwards chickens. So I'm here to figure out what Christmas is all about, and we've only got five minutes to do it, because our wolf's face the music is coming up in a moment. Maybe you can help illuminate what Christmas is all about. In fact, let's see if we can get a hookup to England here for just a, just a moment here. We can see what we can do here. Christmas Carol and Custard Part 2. On your marks, bloom! The office of Scrooge at knocking off time. <coughs> Who's knocked off my sandwiches? <laughs> and custard eckles. Oh. Look at my poor emaciated thin body. Thin? <laughs> you thin. Stand on these talking scales. Get him off! It's a lion custard, I tell you! Look! I'm so thin my slacks have come down. I'll pull them up. Caught your slacking. <laughs> You're fired. F-I-R-E-D pronounced. <laughs> Here is a week's notice. In lieu of money. What about my wooden leg? Put treacle on your head and go as a toffee apple. <laughs> now then, Eccles. I trust you. So do I. Good. Well, take this Christmas pudding and lodge it in my bank on your way home. You remember that? Well, it's near enough a jazz. Little does he know the pudding's full of gold for any bits worth nearly 50,000 pounds. So rich for me, folks. <laughs> Come on, Ned. I'll walk home with you. Right. Come on. Wasn't far, was it? <laughs> you remember the way, too. I'll knock on the door of my old-fashioned H.P. home. Number nine, Downing Street. You've never had it so good. Good night. <laughs> Well, that pretty much makes everything as clear as it was before. (laughs) That was The Christmas Carol, a section thereof by The Goon Show people, including Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan and Harry C. Combe from The Goon Show in the 1950s. This is Pandora's Lunchbox, and the 1950s are quickly coming to an end right now. Uh, This fellow is approaching me. I don't know what he's got to say. You were, doubtless, in common with the writer... And some millions yeah. of other American children yeah, uh-huh. reared with a childhood faith in Santa Claus. Uh, okay. Later, yeah. as you grew in stature this guy's and a real worldly party animal. wisdom, yeah. you were told by yeah. your more sophisticated acquaintances that 
There ain't no Santa Claus. Uh-huh. That's uh, real. Let me just walk away here real quick. And uh, this has been Pandora's Lunchbox. Still is. The Christmas party of Pandora's Lunchbox is winding down just a little bit. This guy's still yapping. Just a quick thought for Christmas in Iceland. Uh, we've talked about Christmas in Ogden and Christmas from Ogden. Now, a little bit of Christmas in Iceland before we go. In Iceland, there are 13 Santas, uh, also called Christmas boys, Yule lads. They are said to be much, much older. The first appeared in the 17th century. Uh, this is hard to read. This is probably translated from Icelandic. They are the sons of two trolls, Grilla and Lepaldi. They were frightening creatures, Grilla and Lepaldi, and had a reputation for snitching and eating children who are naughty. When stories about them first appeared, they were frightening creatures just like their parents. Over the years, they have become milder, milder, gentler creatures and know just plain fun and are now, this is really translated from the Swedish, and are now, uh, Icelandic, are now just plain fun to be around. The 13 Santas include the pot scraper, who snatches the unwashed pots from the kitchen and scrapes the insides with his fingers and tongue and leaves them quite clean. Number six of the boys, the Christmas boys, is the bowl licker, very cunningly finding bowls that have been left unattended and finishing all the food from them. These are the Icelandic Christmas boys. The twelfth of the Christmas boys, this is not the twelfth boy of Christmas, but he's the meat hook. The meat hook. He has a long pole with a hook on the end to put down the chimneys and into the meat hung on the rafters. And the last to come is Candlebagger. He loves candles of all sorts and can't make up his mind whether to eat them or watch their lovely light. And that, I think, sums up the feeling and the spirit of Christmas to me. I can't decide whether to eat it or watch its lovely light. This has been Pandora's Lunchbox, a show about food, and thank you for joining me with the Pandora's Lunchbox Christmas party. We're winding down here, but the chickens, the backwards chickens here, uh, that's not the backwards chickens, this that chimney. Oh dear! To fill this our guy's a real... stockings. Oh my! Yet, oh. as tangible uh-huh. as the gifts which we found oh boy. in our stockings yeah, uh-huh. on Christmas morning. On Christmas morning, yeah. Yes, yes. There is a Santa Claus. Okay, guy, that's great. We because the uh, the chickens are the backwards chickens. Thank you for joining us. The backwards chickens would now like to make a request to round out the show. What do chickens love more?